Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. Welcome back to our number two of Hardline on this beautiful, sunny Sunday morning. I'm Brenda Alacy. Joe Beamer is off today. And uh, Carol Calabrese is with us. Carol has more than 30 years' experience uh, in government, in politics in Western New York. And uh, we um, have so much to chew on in this last hour, Carol. I want to continue, though, to talk about what's been happening in Albany because on Thursday, uh, Letitia James, who was a New York State Attorney General, filed a lawsuit seeking to dissolve the NRA, the National Rifle Association. Uh, there are a lot of uh, uh, interesting angles to this story, Carol, including the fact that uh, Letitia James, who is a Democrat, has been denounced by the NRA, as you would, of course, uh, expect. But uh, they said she once referred to the group as a terrorist organization during the 2018 campaign and vowed to investigate it. Do you think this is sour grapes uh, on her part, Carol? Well, first of all, she did refer to the NRA as, as a terrorist organization during her campaign. Um, I believe that this is going to be one of the best recruiting tools the NRA ever got handed to them. Uh, <laughs> you know, if there ever was proof positive that the progressive left uh, really is after the NRA and what it does, this is it. And, you know, Brent, I've said this on your show. I've said it, uh, I've said it on the morning show with uh, Susan and Brian many, many times. There's one thing you can always count on the progressive left to do, and that is overreach. And that's exactly what she did. Now, this will play very well in New York State. Don't get me wrong. For her base in New York State, this will play very well. But uh, if you're a Democrat candidate running for the House or the Senate out in Montana or Colorado <laughs> or down south, uh, you better believe that this is going to be brought up in those respective states. Uh, you know, it, someone said on one of the legal analysts said that now it, it's alleged that the leadership of the NRA has misappropriated funds, even though no one has ever been charged criminally. Um, this is a civil suit. So that's the allegation. You would think that a board of directors of the NRA, if they had discovered that their leadership was misappropriating millions and millions of dollars, would have changed leadership. They've not done that. But even putting that aside, one lawyer said, you know, if there are victims here, the victims are the members of the NRA who have paid dues. And if that money was misappropriated, they were indeed victimized. Generally, you would have a solution in a lawsuit that would compensate the victims for that injustice, i.e. you would require the organization to pay back money uh, to those individuals. 
you would not take the organization away and dissolve it. I mean, that's the overreach here. Um, if you're really concerned about the members being defrauded, you would call for them to be um, reimbursed and, and made whole, not dissolve an organization. So this, was, this is political. It's an overreach. It's a big plus for the NRA, and it's going to be a plus for the Republican Party and Donald Trump nationwide going into the campaign when it comes to the issue of the Second Amendment. And by the way, talk about bad timing. She does this at a time when gun sales have gone through the roof. The right, FBI, right. The FBI in July did 3.6 million background checks for gun purchases. So this was really bad timing outside, outside of New York State. It is ironic, Carol, because so many businesses are suffering right now because of the COVID crisis. But as you point out, gun sales are not uh, suffering at all. But for just some of the detail held, uh, here, the lawsuit alleges that Wayne LaPierre who is really the face of the organization uh, of the NRA, uh, had misspent hundreds of thousands of dollars, and he had spent money on his own personal pleasures, like a private plane, visiting the Bahamas uh, by private air charter, uh, the suit alleges at least eight times, and uh, also that he and his family were allegedly gifted the use of a 107-foot yacht, that's a pretty nice ride, by an NIR, NRA uh, vendor. And there's all sorts of other allegations about luxury cars and other perks for his family. So, uh, Carol, it, it does seem like the organization has had a lot of issues, though, over the years because many of their top officials have been forced out, including well-known people like Oliver North uh, and also Christopher Cox, the former top lobbyist. Where do you think this will go uh, as the election season continues to unfold? Well, I, again, I think there has been a there has been struggles within the NRA's leadership. There was an attempted uh, uh, ousting of LaPerrier um, by Oliver North. He failed, so he resigned. Obviously, Christopher Cox, the legislative director, was part of that effort. Uh, he had to resign. And so there's, a, there's no question there's a lot of turmoil going on in the, the organization. All of those things that he's, it's alleged he got, I don't know if any of that's illegal, especially if the board of directors knew about it and authorized it. And, and I think that's the key. But again, putting that aside, there's two issues here. There's the internal struggles of the NRA, which I frankly don't care all that much about. And there's a lot of issues about the Second Amendment going into this election. I mean, you know, Joe Biden has already said that the, his, his gun czar would be Beto O'Rourke, who made that famous statement in a debate. Are, are you... Are you going to go after people's guns? And his answer was, hell yes, we're going after your guns. So that's, been, that's going to be, a, I think, a major issue in this upcoming campaign, especially as we see cities across the country experiencing absolute chaos and riots. And it was interesting, even last night, the mayor of Portland, who's been very friendly to the rioters, had to use the word riot when they broke into the police union building and set it on fire. He used the word, we have a riot in Portland. So... Uh, that's the context I think people are going to be looking at gun issues, not the leadership and whether uh, Wayne LaPierre got a, you know, a ride on a yacht or a private flight to Bahamas. I, I, I really think for most people the issue is going to be, can I buy a gun, can I use a gun, and to protect myself and my family. That's going to be the issue. I think you're right about that, Carl. And things are becoming more and more heated, and Portland is just a hot mess I mean, we've always viewed it as a liberal bastion, and uh, certainly, you know, I always thought of San Francisco in that light in Seattle, but things are, are really, I think, on the verge of anarchy in Portland. Have you ever seen an American city this messed up? 
in Portland, Seattle. You've had it in Minneapolis. You've had it at one time in New York City. Uh, you had it in Atlanta. I mean, this is a really interesting movement going on uh, in this country. And I don't think it's about George Floyd anymore. Uh, this, this movement has which started off as a legitimate protest uh, against what most reasonable people saw as a terrible abuse of, of police power, uh, has turned into a whole different issue. Uh, this is about young millennials, uh, mainly white, lots of females, uh, basically saying that the country is fundamentally corrupt and evil, and we must have a change in the system of capitalism. We must have a change in government. Uh, this, is, this is dangerous because... What, you've, what you're seeing here is the result of two or three generations of young people going to colleges and universities and essentially being indoctrinated about the evils of America. And lots of those people now have, after 20 or 25 years graduation, have gone into leadership positions in corporations and foundations and natural profits, in the media, in entertainment. And that's why you see so many corporations supporting uh, a Marxist organization, I mean, Black Lives Matter, I'm not talking about the phrase, I'm talking about the organization, is led by two women who, on their website, proclaim and are proud of the fact that they are, quote, Marxist-Leninist trained. And you've got the corporations giving money to that. That's because the leaders of those corporations went through this college and university system 20, 25 years ago, and now you're seeing, you're seeing the fruit of that process and that institution in producing a whole generation of people very contrary to capitalism, very con very opposed to uh, uh, the American system of government. Uh, it's, it's a dangerous time going forward. I really do believe that. Oh, that's one thing we can certainly agree on, Carol. But, you know, and you're not just a guy who sits behind a desk every day. You actually teach as well as work uh, in your firm. So what do you hear from your students about uh, how things are going with the, with the left and whether there's a real... Um, sort of backlash against what we know as American government uh, for the last 200-plus years? Yeah, that's a great question, and very, I've gotten very interesting responses. It's amazing how, over the last five years, my students became quieter and quieter and less willing to participate in discussions. Um, and many of them would come to me after the first class. And, and in the first class, I would always tell them who I was. Um, I ran for office numerous times. I was a Republican and a conservative when I ran for office. And I put that right out there, that I'm going to give you a little different view of government and politics than you normally get at this university, okay? Put that right out front. You don't have to agree with it, but you, we all have – every human being has biases. I'm telling you what my biases are up front, and we can talk about it. And invariably, I would get students come to me after class and literally look over their shoulders to make sure no one was within earshot and almost whisper, Professor Calabrese, I'm a conservative too. <laughs> I mean – is that level of intimidation on college campuses now about free speech. And that's one of the other, one of the other characteristics of this of the progressive left movement is the attempt to kill free speech, prevent speakers who have a different point of view from speaking, preventing students from speaking, uh, from having uh, microaggressions and, free, you know, and, and safe zones. And, and basically, many, many young people now believe that if you disagree with my position, that is verbal violence, and you're making me feel unsafe, and therefore First Amendment free speech protections don't apply to you. That's where we have come on university campuses. And again, these kids graduate, and they go in the real world. And I think the a mistake conservatives have made, me included, is we assume that, okay, 
they're in college, they're, they're leftist, and, but once they get out of college and get in the real world, um, they become more conservative over time. That does not appear to be the case. Um, these young people leave college indoctrinated with a far-left progressive agenda, and they carry it with them in their places of, of work and socialization. Uh, and that's, that's dangerous. And there's lots of people suddenly waking up to the fact that the university system in this country is not doing the country a service just in terms of teaching history. That's the other thing I noticed. People well, but, but Carol, don't you think people have a right to have different points of view and that they should be discussed and debated and not feel like they have to be afraid to say anything? I think that that's part of the problem, that uh, whether it's coming from the right or the left, people need to be able to express their views more than ever, considering what's happening in our world today. Brenda, that was the whole purpose of the university uh, from the very beginning was, uh, and when I went to college, it, it, that was what you did. You debated issues. Um, and the passionate debates on left and right. And you had speakers of both sides coming to the university and, and giving talks. That's over. That's over. You, I mean, even, even very respected conservative scholars and authors cannot speak on college campuses today. They cannot speak. And, and that, that is a real perversion of what the university concept was always about, and that is expressing ideas, having a clash of ideas in a civilized way, and having people decide where they come down on an issue. And unfortunately, we're, we're just not there now. How we get back to that, I don't know. It's going to take, it's going to take a while because the system has been pretty much running roughshod uh, to the left in the last 20, 25, 30 years. Well, and you know, Carl, I think the right has some uh, real problems as well. I don't think it's fair to just label it a, a problem with the left. Oh, it, no, it is a problem with the left on college campuses. There's no question about that. On college campuses, they are they are dominated by left, no doubt. Well, yes. I mean, you you know, you think about the ivory tower. I think about my days in college. But one of the things that I really valued, as you point out, is the debate and the trying to understand other points of view, trying trying to broaden your horizons. But people are so dug in now. I mean, there <laughs> there's certainly no easy answer here at all. Um, let's take a call. John from Rochester is on the line. Good morning, John. Hey, Brenda. Hey, hey, Carl. Hi, uh, John. I, I got to say, Carl, you're absolutely right. The college campuses, there's no uh, opposing opinions uh, allowed by uh, conservatives in, in a lot of respects. Uh, they have to have uh, bodyguards in a lot of these campuses, but uh, that's, that's unbelievable. But I wanted to bring up the COVID policy by uh, Governor Cuomo. Uh, you know, you hear a lot now, and the, the media uh, is – uh, projecting this uh, disaster in Florida and Texas and Arizona. But if you look at the numbers, uh, the death rate in New York State is four times that of Florida and Texas. And the thing that really bothers me about this whole thing, initially when this uh, pandemic started, even before that, for other uh, pandemics, they talk about herd immunity. Uh, I have not heard the word spoken by Governor Cuomo, Dr. Fauci, and some of the government officials that are uh, supporting, I think, a failed policy of uh, not recognizing herd immunity. There's a lot of uh, medical, and they say, well, we got to go with the science. Well, a lot of the science says uh, there's uh, prominent doctors from uh, Sanford and... Uh
Hey, John and Carol, I would ask you to just hold a moment. We'll take a break, and John, we'll have you continue on with your question right after our timeout. Stay tuned, everybody. Much more to come on Hardline on WBEN. It is Brenda Alacy flying solo. Today as Joe Beamer is off, but uh, I appreciate all the calls and texts. It's been a terrific show, enjoying myself, and I appreciate you putting your two cents in. In fact, we had only about one cent in because we had to uh, interrupt John from Rochester on his call. But uh, John, thank you so much for your patience in uh, waiting through the break. And uh, you wanted to talk about herd immunity, I believe. Yeah, I just wanted to uh, mention, I, I don't know how far I got, but... but uh, the, pol- the COVID policy uh, by Governor Cuomo, I think, is really flawed uh, because I have not heard uh, Governor Cuomo or Dr. Fauci talk about herd immunity at all. At all, I haven't heard him even mention the term. And uh, the uh, the media and the governor is uh, banging the drum on the fact that Florida and Texas COVID virus. Uh, COVID infections have increased significantly. However, if you look at the death rate, or the the deaths in Florida, in uh, uh, Texas, New York is four times the amount of deaths. So the policy, I think, is somewhat uh, broken as far as Governor Cuomo goes, uh, in that he's not recognizing herd immunity. Uh, There's a lot of, and and they, they say that it, it's evidenced by the fact that they, they're following the science. Well, there's a, a lot of scientists out there, medical uh, colleges like Yale and Stanford, that disagree with them as far as the tactics they're using to beat this beat this virus. Uh, so, I I think uh, what has to happen is uh, we have to uh, recognize herd immunity, and that's the only way to. to to really defeat the disease permanently. I just read an article either in Forbes or Bloomberg uh, last week regarding the country of Sweden. The country of Sweden hardly locked down at all compared to what was done in New York uh, in the States. And uh, right now, uh, they're, they, they have developed not complete herd immunity, but they never really locked down their schools. They didn't hardly lock down their economy. And they're they're having a lot of successes. Uh, so the key is not the fact that you got increased uh, infections in Florida and Texas. Increased infections are good in that you've got to uh, get you got to trend toward herd immunity in order to solve this problem permanently. I think John, it's an interesting idea. I know you've called the show um, a couple of times before about that. I would refer you to a, an article I read about herd immunity from Johns Hopkins Medical School, and I really do try to read things that are not politically biased about uh, the scientific end of COVID, the actual doctors who are are checking this virus and uh, the possible vaccine that they're so furiously working to find. Uh, give it a look, John, if you would. Johns Hopkins Medical School about herd immunity. And I'd be interested to, to get your comments on that. Uh, thanks very much, as always, John, for your input. Uh, Carol Calabrese is with us as well. And Carol, boy, you hear a lot of different things about COVID and, and what can be cured and what can't and mask and not mask. Uh, Carol, you're wearing a mask on a regular basis, right? Uh, yes, but I, I hate them. <laughs> okay. Yeah, me too. But 
as I've said many times, I'd rather wear a mask than a ventilator. So yeah, it's just. But you know, John brought up a lot of good points, Brendan. And your last comment about John Johns Hopkins University, I would. You are absolutely correct. I would urge people that if you want an unbiased, scientific look at facts, go to the Johns Hopkins uh, COVID site. Um, you you will uh, be amazed at the difference in terms of facts and reporting and, and issues brought up there versus what you read in the newspaper or hear on the media. Um, so you, you are correct, as we look at that at, at, at uh, my place of work a lot. But, you know, it, it, John brought up some interesting points. I said this to my wife yesterday. When did we go from we have to make sure we don't overwhelm the hospital system to we can have no one contact the disease? No one can contract this disease. That's where we are now, and that's a pretty high bar. Uh, I'll say. And, and I, I don't think it's sustainable. Um, you know, you, the other thing is the media has done a terrible job in covering this. Um, he, John is right. They've been very, very positive and, and easygoing on, on Democrat governors and brutal on Republican governors. Uh, they've been very bad in the way they report things. They don't report lots of issues like in, the, the infection rate or the, the death rate or the, the percentage of hospital beds that are being used for COVID patients. Um, and if they do report it, you really have to search. A good example of this occurred about 10 days ago. I was reading an article about Dr. Fauci, and you had to get to the second last paragraph uh, to read what he said about the numbers. And there were very interesting numbers. He said that 81% of people who contract COVID will have no symptoms, 81%. Amazing, isn't it, Carol? And then other people are so badly uh, affected by it. And, and you read these horror stories about how they can't breathe, and if they survive, they have some long-lasting effects. It, it's really amazing the difference in the way people react to this disease. And 5% are, are serious. And if you look at the break that down, the 5% tend to be people over 80 with comorbidities. So this is a, we've learned a lot about this disease since it first came on in terms of how it's transmitted and how to treat it. We're making progress, and I'm hoping, and it, I'm hoping that this vaccine you know, comes out and works and puts, you know, makes this thing go behind us. But the, oh, wouldn't that be sweet? Carol, we've got a lot of calls online. I want to get through them all before the show ends. Kevin from Pendleton is next. Hello, Kevin. Welcome. Uh, yeah, good morning, uh, Brenda. And Mr. Calibri, good morning to you, sir. You know, I just heard... Um, you know, Ed Roth just mentioned that we need to get back to the two parties running this state. And when I hear that, and uh, I just can't, you know, I hear John F. Kennedy saying there's not a Republican way or, an Amer or, or a Democrat way, but the American way. And it looks as though we have missed that message full, full blank. David Bellavia, uh, just this week, he says, and during his interview, when the GOP leadership you know, didn't even consider him for NY27. He said to them, the future of the conservative movement and the GOP is having people like blacks, Hispanics, mixed mongrels, maybe like Me Too, you know, gays and whoever, right? In not just leadership roles, but in committees, right? And you know what was the response, Carl? You know what was the response of the Republican leadership in their actions? Here's what it was. A couple of weeks after, Donald Trump's juniors, girlfriend rides into town for a big fundraiser for your conservative friends and, 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 and the GOP leadership friends and says, we need to get candidates out here who signs the front of the check, not the back of it. And if this is where they're going, because, hey, 
in NY27, we had folks who signed in front of the check all the time, right? Okay? And by the way, this is an endorsement of Nate McMurray and, you know, in what I'm saying here. So if this is what's going on, I think this coming November, I wouldn't bother to waste my valid vote, my ballot, on neither Donald Trump, because let's face it, Carl, you get to tell the folks Donald Trump will never win New York. So why should I be casting my ballot for Trump when all is going to happen to my ballot? It will be part of the data that folks will take to Washington to, to, to shoot the, the, the national leadership of the GOP for further access and advancement of their personal you know, benefit in Washington and elsewhere. So we are in a real dire strait in this country, you know, because our kids are out there burning and looting and being indoctrinated in, in the colleges, right? I say this is about time, right? We fix this corrupt electoral system and let's hear those other voices. So my question to you right now is that what do you think of ranked choice voting? And don't tell me it's something from the left and we should throw it out because you know what? I am tired of being abused, you know, by this political system as a voter and a citizen. And I think... Kevin, need... would you repeat that? I didn't catch what you said. What do I think of what? Ranked choice voting as an option. A number of other states have done it. Because you know what? When I, you cast your ballot in there just crossing your fingers and hoping the best. And guess what? We just voting for... We end up being a spoiler vote. And we end up getting people who don't really represent us truly, but just the parties. So I'll Kevin, let... thank you. Thank you for the call. Carol, do you want to address that? Yeah, you know, this, this right choice voting, I think, I think I know what it is. Um, I think it's a system where you can vote for more than one candidate. You vote for your one, two, and three, and somehow a person who finishes second or third could end up winning a seat. I think that's it. I, I'm not too familiar with it. I think they're trying it in California. Uh, I think there's you know, sometimes the, the, the cure is worse than the disease. The idea that somebody who finishes second or third in a ballot could end up winning, uh, that's going to come with a whole series of problems, too. So uh, I don't know if that's the solution to what ails us. I think what really ails us is, and, and, and Kevin addressed it, is that the, both parties don't have a middle anymore, okay? There's no middle ground in either party. Uh, one party is to the right and one party is to the left. And the idea of reaching across the aisle to come up with some kind of agreement is now considered taboo in both parties. Uh, I didn't grow up in that kind of system. Uh, when I went through politics, you, you fought your political opponents like cats and dogs during election time. But, you know, when I was supervisor of the town of Tonawanda, I had a, 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 a Republican state senator, a Democrat state assemblyman. I had um, two Democrat county legislators and, and a Democrat congressman. And we work together on all kinds of issues from, you know, from uh, youth, youth problems and youth crime to getting rid of nuclear waste along our waterfront um, after the election. You put that aside. You say, OK, now we've got to we've got to get business done. Unfortunately, those days are behind us. I don't see them coming back anytime soon. I wish they would. You know, Carol, that's my point exactly when I say it happens on both sides. People have dug in so deeply now that there's no sense of compromise. Uh, we certainly can agree on that. Uh, next up, we've got Bob on a cell. Bob, thank you for holding on. Uh, good morning. Uh, I have a couple of uh, quick uh, questions or comments. Uh, New York City, I've heard numbers as, as high as uh, two and a half million people have left the New York City area over the virus, living in high rises. Uh, 
I would wonder if anything would ever be the same there, including the Broadway plays, because those have also been shut down. But talking about presidential politics, this president has had everything thrown at him, impeachment, uh, you know, uh, involvement uh, with Russia, supposedly uh, FISA uh, applications uh, that have been lied on. And yet he is still standing. I can't think of another president that could have gone through what this president has gone through and still be there. And the main question would be Joe Biden. Uh, He is a stroke survivor, so I'm not going to poke fun at him at all. Uh, But I understand that his mind is going and that he does not have the same control that he once had. And uh, was wondering uh, when the debates are going to happen, if at all. And what exactly are the Democrats going to do? Because apparently there is money behind this candidacy so that the fifth column can basically take over the party once and for all. And uh, that is a concern. And uh, one last point, if they think this virus is bad, wait till the flu season starts up. (laughs) They haven't seen anything yet. You have a very blessed day. Uh, Appreciate you calling in, Joe. uh, Or Excuse me, that was Bob on a cell. Uh, I don't think there's been any definitive diagnosis that Biden has had a stroke. Have you heard that, Carl? Um, not a stroke. He had some type of some type of issue um, like 20 years ago. It was an aneurysm, I think, wasn't it? I think it was. Yeah, I think. Yes, it was. I'm pretty was, sure that's what it was. You know, I'll tell you though, Brendan. I've said this before. I, I don't want to stereotype anybody, but we all know that. People age, and they age differently. We know people who start to show signs of aging in their mid-60s, and we also know people, you know, sharp as tacks when they're 90. Everybody's different. Um, I've got a very, very good friend who's Joe Biden's age, and the guy is, you know, really, really on top of things. Um, other people I, I know of the same age aren't the same as they were 10 years ago. And I really think Joe Biden is showing sign of normal aging what you what many people at age 78 begin to experience um and i don't know if there's going to be debates you've already seen uh articles appearing in the new york times op-ed pieces uh from columnists and major democrat strategists uh saying that he shouldn't debate donald trump because donald trump does nothing but tell lies and falsehoods therefore don't get on the stage that's not the reason I, i think they're really worried about joe biden for two hours alone with donald trump uh and what what may come of that. Um, and now Donald Trump, and I think he's absolutely right on this, says the first debate should be in early September before people start to send in mail-in votes, that there's a large number of states that will allow people to start voting for president in September, late September. And the first debate ought to occur so they have a chance to see it and see that debate before they prevail it. So we'll see. But I, I do think he is showing signs of his age that he's not the same guy he was 10 years ago. No, and I think President Trump shows it sometime, too. Uh, Carol, I've noticed sometimes he has trouble reading certain things and kind of loses his train of thought and then comes back or repeats something. Have you noticed that? No, I'll tell you what, Trump. Trump is an ad-libber. And when you try to put him on a teleprompter or a script, um, he has trouble with it. It's not his style. Uh, if you've never used a teleprompter, it's, it's an acquired skill. You just don't start using it. I don't think he's comfortable with it. And his normal tendency is to digress. Uh, and get off topic and take it down different streams and then try to get back. That's what I think is going on with Trump. Uh, I, I think it's different between him and, and Joe Biden. All right, next up on the line is Rambo Jim. Hello, Rambo Jim. Thank you for calling in. 
Yeah, I got a great idea that's going to win the election, definitely for President Trump, in my opinion. I'm old enough to remember now when Bush the first ran from president. And as I remember it, now I'm doing this from memory. Maybe my memory, like Joe Biden, isn't as good as it used to be. But it seemed, if I remember that election right, and Carl, if I'm wrong, you correct me on this. Starting one or two days after uh, the Labor Day weekend, all we saw every time you turned the television on was a guy named Willie Horton in his picture. Bush played up Willie Horton for everything it's worth. Now, you've got Letitia What's-Her-Face wants to disarm us and take our guns away. From the day after Labor Day weekend all the way through Election Day, every time we turn the television on, we should see a picture, her picture, and underneath the picture it should say, this gun-grabbing cockroach wants to take your guns away. What do you think about that? Well, first of all, let me say that the Willie Horton ad, interestingly enough, was not done by the Bush campaign. It was done by a, a, a political action committee, a, a pro-Bush committee, but it was not officially done by the campaign, although I'm sure they loved it. Um, yeah, I, I do think that you're going to see Republican candidates around the country for numerous offices, not just the presidential election, uh, using Lucia James's attempt to dissolve the NRA as, see, we told you. We told you these people really are against the Second Amendment and are after your guns. Beto O'Rourke said it. Biden said Beto O'Rourke is going to be his gun guy. And now you've got the Attorney General of New York State saying we want to dissolve the leading advocate for the Second Amendment. So, yeah, you're going to see this, and, and Trump's going to use it. And as I said earlier, this was a gift. This was a gift from the left uh, that's going to keep on giving for the next several months. Oh, my gosh, Carl, you are not kidding. It is so much a gift. I mean, the timing on this is really curious. Uh, for me to understand why she would put it forth at this point. Well, it's almost like they just the place, you know, purposely, the, this, purposely uh, you know, put it out there to make it a, a mess for the Democrats. One final point, guys, and then I, because there's other callers behind me, I understand that. My younger brother was saying yesterday the Amish people that live in the swing states, they ain't going for gun control. You want to talk about getting 100% of the Amish vote? This is it. In the swing states, that could be huge. All right, Jim, thank you very much for the call. Carol, uh, we're talking about Joe Biden and his mental acuity, and it makes the vice presidential pick all the more important. Do you think it'll be Kamala Harris, Susan Rice, or somebody else? Well, I think the the conventional wisdom, which (laughs) sometimes is the the worst thing to follow, says Susan Rice or Kamala Harris. Um, If I had to guess on one of those, I, I think Susan Rice might have the edge. However, you know... Vice presidential picks sometimes come out of left field. I mean, I can still remember Richard Nixon saying Spiro Agnew, and everybody said, what? What, what is a Spiro Agnew? Um, and so you, you just never know. If, if there was going to be a dark horse, I mean, I look at all of the potential candidates, the one that kind of grabs my attention is a senator from Illinois, Tammy Duckworth. Um, she's a U.S. senator. She's run for, for office before. Um, she is a double amputee having right. served in the Iraq war. Uh, and that, that's, you know, that could be very interesting in terms of appealing uh, to people maybe right of center. So if I had to pick a dark horse, Tammy Duckworth would be my, my uh, guess. And that's all it is at this point. I've got you know, no inside line, and my guess is as good as anybody else's. You know, it's funny you bring up about the surprise picks. I mean, who had really heard about Sarah Palin when John McCain picked her? There's another great example of yes. somebody uh, emerging from obscurity. That's exactly correct. And uh, 
you know, there's lots of calculations that go into picking a VP. It used to be geographic. It's not so much geographic anymore. It's more ideological uh, and what groups you appeal to, regardless of state. So, um, as I say, I think the conventional wisdom says Kamala Harris uh, and, and uh, Susan Rice, uh, they both have pluses, they both have minuses, but you never know with, uh, with a dark horse. And as I say, when I look at the potential list of 10, 11 uh, of possible candidates for VP, Tammy Duckworth kind of jumps out at me, having a unique set of qualities and characteristics. Absolutely. Well, Carol, what do you expect? We've got about 30 seconds left. What do you expect to happen in politics this week? How's that for a loaded question? <laughs> <laughs> hey, what? You can bank on this. I expect the unexpected. <laughs> exactly. Right. It's uh, it's ever evolving, is it not? Crazy year, Brenda. Um, just when you think there are no more hammers uh, to give you a hammer blow on the side of the head, you get another hammer blow. So yeah, that's um, right. Put, you, put your helmet on. <laughs> Make sure you got your helmet on. Uh, Carl Calabrese, who is a partner at Massiello Martucci Calabrese, and always a wonderful analyst and a, a fine gentleman taking time on his weekend to come on the show with us. Carol, thanks a million. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Brenda. Always enjoy. Thank you. Well, that'll put a wrap on this edition of Hardline. Thanks very much to Jerry Craig for taking care of all the business behind the scenes. And uh, I look forward to talking with you next week. Brenda Alacy, Hardline, right here on News Radio 930 WBEN. All Star Closer, Kenley Jansen, we have a question. What's the best podcast of all time? Baseball isn't boring, baby. I'm Rob Bradford, and every single day I'm sitting down with the biggest names to show you this great game is the greatest game. It's my podcast. It's my passion. It's a cause I started more than two years ago and is now the most prolific national daily baseball pod there is. Another fact, so jump aboard the B.I.B. Express. Follow and listen to Baseball Isn't Boring, presented by Wasabi Hot Cloud Storage on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.